turn to Matthew 26, verse 69, if you have a, a Bible. Um, and I hope to, to quote David Platt, and I hope that you do. Um, Matthew 26, verse 69, and we're going to go into chapter 27, verse 10. If you're a guest this morning, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew over the last year and a half, and um, we're almost there. We're almost there. We're going to finish in a couple of weeks. Um, so Matthew 26, 69, and we'll get to chapter 27, verse 10. Uh, I've titled today's uh, message, A Tale of Two Betrayals. Okay, A Tale of Two Betrayals. Uh, I have a, a, a younger son, uh, Luke, who, is, um, who really loves a great story. He really loves a great story. And we got to spend some time in the car yesterday, and we got into the car together. Yet again, he, uh, he you know, turned the car on, not cranking it, but turned the battery on before I could even get in the car, and started the CD that is in the, the car. My, one of the few cars left in this world that has a CD player. <laughs> and, um, and it's actually in the glove box, which is just weird. It's like they, somebody might still want it. You know, so they put it, put it in the glove box, 2020 for the win. And, um, and st- the disc that started playing was uh, an audible, uh, an, a, like a radio production of The Magician's Nephew by CSO. Yeah, everybody loved Okay. So, and this is probably the, I mean, I'm not, I'm not counting, but it's at least the 174th time we've listened to The Magician because Luke, well, he loves a good story and he loves to get lost and, and live and imagine that story um, in, in his mind. And, uh, and I do too. I, the, the snippets of the pictures of God and the gospel that Lewis gives inside his fiction writings will stay with you forever, um, especially if you read them again and again and again, or if you're an audio person, if you listen to them, especially the productions of them again and again and again. Um, and, but being a little more cerebral and, and being older, um, when this started happening in the car yesterday, I started uh, reminiscing about the influence of C.S. Lewis in general. Not this specific story, but just in general. When my friend in college, Lori, said, you really should start reading this book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And I was in the habit of underlining things that stood out to me in a book. And I had a red marker pen when I first started and I still have the copy of this book that is just one big red marker now under virtually everything that he said because my mind was blown at the thing. And then the, the weight of glory and the abolition of man and on and on and on I could go about the influence of C.S. Lewis's life. So you can imagine my enthusiasm when a few years ago I picked up the autobiography, not the auto, the biography of C.S. Lewis and do you know that C.S. Lewis was amazing, but he was not perfect? <laughs> because in my mind, he was basically Jesus, right? But he had some doctrinal things that were weird. He had some lifestyle issues that were weird. He, y'all, C.S. Lewis was not perfect. And you can read the biography. I'm not going to throw my hero under the bus. I'm just trying to tell you he wasn't perfect, right? And in my mind, he was because all of the things he had read had so changed my life for the good of the gospel. Okay. So when we come to the end of Matthew's gospel, you may be, you, the gospels have a way, Matthew has a way in particular, I think, of just kind of laying it out like it was, 
and not giving you any real commentary on like it was. He wants you to just, he wants you to read it for what it really, they, they don't hide reality. The Bible doesn't do this at all. I mean, you, you see the, the mess of humanity all the way through. It just highlights the need for Jesus over and over and over again, right? But that's particularly true in today's text because you, you may get through Matthew 26 and 27 in the same way that I feel about C.S. Lewis, you may have feel about Peter by based on what we're going to read today, right? They, they, the gospel writers go out of their way, not just Matthew, all of them, go out of their way to show just how big of a central figure Peter was to the historical realities of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, right? Peter walked on water. Hello, right? He would start his church, and he did. It was Peter, right? Peter was top three to, to see Jesus transfigured in all of his glory with Elijah, right, with Moses. Now, he, you know, tried to start a building program. Well, it was kind of weird, but he was there, right? Like, he was there. Um, and we saw last week... Peter took a sword and lopped off the ear of the intern, right? But there are other people with clubs and swords, and nobody else is picking a fight. But Peter picked a fight. I will die for you, Jesus, right? Peter was the man, right? Until he wasn't. And that's the story that we're, that we're going to look at today. And, we're gonna, and, P, and Matthew does this in such a way to contrast Peter's betrayal with Judas's betrayal in a way that I think will show you uh, Jesus in a really unique five. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, you were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. And when he'd gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told him, and told those who were, with, who were there, this man, talking about Peter, was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. Let me go back to Matthew 5. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. And then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know the man. Okay, Matthew, being holy, leaves out the cursing. And, and Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Underline Peter's reaction. He went outside in the courtyard, and he wept bitterly. Okay? So you read that story, you, you maybe, like me, have some empathy and or sympathy for Peter, right? Like you kind of feel for him, and I think you should. I think that's, I think that's Matthew's intent. I think it's right, if it's not necessary, for you to feel for Peter in this moment especially if you've read all of Matthew and importance and his growth, right? 
he was the one who tried to protect Jesus. He was the one who, um, you know, who's done all these really bold and wonderful things. And then this happens. You just, you're like, ah, I feel for the guy. I feel for the guy. But if you can, if you look at the text, Peter, you know, as bold as he was. You remember last week at the very end, um, uh, around when when Jesus is taken by the by the mob and, and, and he's arrested. What did the disciples do? They all fled, right? But what does Peter apparently do? He runs, and the other eleven keep going, and he stops, and he keeps his distance but he can see, right? So he's, he's come back. He's turned around. He's, not, he's the only disciple who did this, and he did it not only just in the city, but he came into the city, but he actually went into the temple, into the courtyard, into the courtyard, into the court, all the way in so he could, he, he took some risk because he wanted to be with, he wanted to be with Jesus, right? Which tells us that even though he has done this thing, he clearly loves Jesus, so you feel for him because he still clearly loves Jesus. James Boyce um, put, it, put it this way. He says, Peter must have thought that he would never be able to live with himself unless he saw this through and knew for certain what would become of Jesus. Peter failed in a situation he would not even have been in had he not loved Jesus greatly. He ends up in this weird, isn't it? He ends up in this position where he's betraying Jesus even as he's pursuing him because he loves him. So your heart goes out for him because he's... I think you know why, right? But that doesn't mean he doesn't blow it big time. It does not take much to get Peter to fall. A servant girl questions him, which in that culture is the most insignificant human being in the room. And he caves, right? But if you think about this, and if you really put yourself in this story and who you want to identify with, is we are all Peter. Okay? If Peter, Peter, if Peter could do this, I could do this really easily, and so could you. If, if what happened to Peter can happen to the strong of us, strongest of us, it may even be that the strongest of us are the ones who are actually in danger of doing the very thing that Peter did. So I want to just take a couple of lessons here from, from Peter's betrayal. Why did this happen? What can we learn in response from this, and how does this point us to Jesus? Number, number one. I don't think that Peter really took Jesus' warning to heart. Okay? If you go back to verse 31 in chapter 26, right? Jesus told the disciples that all of them would fall away on his account. Do you remember Peter's response? <laughs> right? Maybe these losers. Not me. I'm not going to do I will never do that, right? And then Jesus says, no, really, you... You're going to. <laughs> he did not take it to heart. Jesus, the one he loved, the one he followed, the one he was willing to quote to die for, the one he was willing to be better than anybody else for, he did not take that person's warning to heart. And he did this betrayal in a very powerful, painful way. This is a warning of over self 
confidence in our ability to keep the faith. Over self-confidence in our ability to keep the faith. So let's tie this theological nerd stuff here just for a minute. Okay, With Paul in Philippians, he's talking about um, what it is that um, he, all the, all the righteousness, all the holiness, all the zeal, all the knowledge of the law, all the ability to keep his law. Paul, if Paul had any reason, he would say, to have confidence in his flesh to make him right before God, right? He had it. And then, but Paul would say, he would see the works of Jesus and he would say, I, I put no confidence in my flesh to put me in a position for God to say, that's the standard. Well done. You did it, Paul. He says, no, I will choose Jesus every time. And the same thing that is true about our justification is true about our sanctification. Peter had self-confidence, over self-confident in his ability to earn Jesus' approval and live the life of faith that Jesus had called him to. That's over self-confidence. We, we can't trust Jesus just to make us right before God. We have to trust Jesus to live right before God. Right? And related to this over self-confidence is the fact that Peter just wasn't praying, which is the attribute, the practice of someone who is not self-confident. Verse 41, same chapter. Jesus had urged the disciples. He said, watch and pray, oh, so that you will not fall into temptation. And Peter fell asleep, just like everybody else. And then, in his self-confidence, he denied Jesus in the courtyard before the servants and the high, and the high priest. So it's not just about overconfidence. It's also a lack of practicing dependence. Right? But you know what's really good? What's really good here is that even though Peter wasn't praying and even though he was over self-confident, Jesus had all the confidence in the world about finishing the Father's will, and Jesus had been praying for Peter. Right? If you look at the Lucan account of the story, Jesus told Peter that very night, Simon, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but also in a lack of practice. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Simon has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have back. Oh. You're in your, because he's going to turn back. What is he going to do? Strengthen your brothers. That's what he said. So we, we need to pray, and we may not be, but Judas, Jesus is always, always praying for us. Hebrews 7.25, if you need your verse. Okay. So that's Peter. That's Peter's betrayal. And then Matthew, in magnificent literary style, says, let me show you a story of another betrayal. Look at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 27. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse 
and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. Would you um, draw a line from verse 3 and 4 back up to verse um, 60, let's see, what is it, 70 to 75 of the previous chapter? What's that to us, they said? See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed, and then he went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver and they said, It's not permitted to put it in the temple treasury since it's blood money. They conferred together and bought the potter's field with it as a burial place for foreigners. Therefore, the field has been called field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver field as the Lord directed me. You know, when I, when I read Peter's betrayal, I feel compassion. And when I read um, Judas's betrayal, I just, I feel, I feel dread. You may not quite feel that way, but I, I feel dread. Judas, we I harped on Judas last week, so I'm not going to do this too much. But Judas's betrayal story is a warning. This is why I feel dread, because it's a warning. It's, it's, it's a warning lived out in real life. It's a warning that it is entirely possible to spend time with Jesus, hear Jesus' sermons, see Jesus' miracles, and not believe in Jesus' grace. Right? And I don't, I don't say that Judas lacked belief because he ended his life. I say Judas liked belief because of what he didn't do. He didn't repent and believe in the grace of Jesus. Right? Judas felt it, but he did. Judas was sad about it. Judas hated himself for doing it. Judas knew that Jesus was innocent. Judas, unlike Peter, publicly testified to the fact that the very of, of Jesus' reality, and he did it to the very people that he turned Jesus over to. But recognizing we are wrong, loathing ourselves for it, and acknowledging the injustice of it is not repentance. That's not a 180-degree turn. It's what Walter Kaiser calls a 90-degree turn. Okay? Now, why would, Jesus, why would Judas just turn 90 degrees? Why would he feel all of the weight of what he had done to deal with it? Why would he just turn 90? And the answer is because he didn't believe the right thing about Jesus. He only turned 90 degrees for the same reason so many of us only turn 90 degrees. We don't believe that Jesus could actually atone for the sin that we commit. So we try to deal with it ourselves. We try to pay it ourselves. Judas couldn't get to the place where forgiveness was possible. And that's actually what forgiveness is. It's atonement. Okay? When someone forgives you, 
When they truly forgive you, they choose to pay the price of the sin you committed against them. That's what it is. And Judas could not believe that Jesus would do that. He could not get there. He couldn't believe that Jesus could do it when, in fact, Jesus was the only one who could actually do it. Did you hear what... um, Did you hear the psalm that Kevin read? Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. Listen to this. The psalmist said, Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, who could stand? Judas felt that. But he didn't feel verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. He didn't turn 180 degrees, he just turned 90. Right? We just sang the song. Praise the Lord. My sins, they are many. And Judas never heard the words, but his mercy is more. That's what happened here. There's only one person in the entire universe who can make atonement, and that's Jesus Christ, who though he is a man, is also more than a man. He is the God-man, and it is the only by his shed blood that atonement is made. Uh, you know, if you, if you were to call my dad, who is now 70 years old, he, or if he came one Sunday, he would, he would say, you know, I never had to worry about Rob. It's like you've always, you know, firstborn, blah, 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 all the things, right? Okay. So he, he just, it never occurred to him that I might screw up. Okay. Because he's, he's, he's forgetting a lot of things. <laughs> Mostly because he was at work eight to five, five days a week. And my mother would be glad to have given him a list of reasons for him to be worried about me. And I do not remember what I did all day that got me in this position, but I will never forget the time. My mother disciplined me at like 3.30 or 4 o'clock, probably because I did something terrible at school. And then she said, you're going to stay in your room, and when your father gets home, he's going to deal with you. And I knew what that meant. So in the few minutes that I had remaining, I put on as many pair of underwear as I could wear at one time. And then I put on two pair of blue jeans to cushion the blow. And the blows came in fury. It was not a grace-based discipline program at that moment. Okay. And it still hurt. And I stayed in my room until I was done dealing with the consequences of my choices. And then I stepped out of my room, and my dad was sitting in his chair... And I got in his lap, and I hugged him and watched the news while my mom finished dinner. And we went on with our life together in forgiveness. Why? Because I believe something about my father greater than my sin. So I could take the the consequences and get back in his lap. I want to call you to a grace-filled life this morning. Your sins are many, but his mercy is more. You are not beyond reach 
there is absolutely nothing you could do to ever lead him to love you any less. And the cross where he's headed in the next two weeks is the proof. It is the proof. Guilt and shame without repentance and faith leads to hopelessness and despair. Don't stay there. Guilt and shame with repentance and faith in the work of Jesus leads to joy and purpose, which is where Peter is going to go. And that's where you can go to. Let's pray together. Father, we are, um, there's just no, like, thinking about you and talking about it without recognizing the fact that you are holy. Just, it's just, a, that's your number one trait, you know, like, the holiness of God. And so that into, ultimately just empties us, like Isaiah, woe is me. Like, we're, if we actually get a glimpse, right, we just, we can't stand. And in your grace and in your mercy, you you live the life in Jesus that we cannot live, and you pay the price for our sin that we could not pay, and that makes us positionally right if we trust and believe in that. So don't lead us to a place to see your holiness and not see Jesus' replacement on our behalf. Don't leave us hanging in despair, but show us the truth of the gospel so that we can believe in the grace of the gospel. That's what we ask not just in a new way, certainly a new way for those that need to believe for the first time this morning, but in an ongoing way, always telling ourselves this truth and living joyfully in it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.